welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring changemakers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome. Today, my guest is Mary Stellatello, who brings 30 years of experience in the nonprofit and philanthropic sectors to her coaching and consulting work. And she focuses in the areas of governance, leadership development, strategy development, strategic partnerships, training, facilitation, and organizational capacity building. Mary is a PCC credentialed professional coach by the International Coach Federation and an associate coach with Coaching Right Now and Manpower Right Management. She uses all these skills with nonprofit executives, social impact leaders, and management staff to strengthen their abilities and skill to guide organizations to excellence. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for being with me today. Lorraine, it's such an honor and a pleasure to have the opportunity to have a chat with you. Yeah. So we've known each other for a while now at both running certified B Corps, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. But I want to start kind of like before you decided to start your own business and talk about what was your life pre-2010 when you started Vista Global Coaching and Consulting? Okay, well, I don't want to take the whole podcast to talk about my circuitous journey of how I got to starting my own business. I really was actually an accidental entrepreneur. But I mean, I, you know, I actually started my work life in a family business when I was nine or 10 years old. My dad had uh, restaurants in Chicago and I started early in my life, really just learning about what it means to run a business from the inside out as a young person in the kitchen, in the front part of the house, eventually became a manager when I was about 15 and just sort of soaked it all in, not really knowing what I was learning. It was just, you know, what I did on the weekend in the summertime. And, you know, then I moved into my professional career as a starting in after graduate school, really found my path in doing social impact work and worked in nonprofits for about 20 years, running different youth and children's services organizations. I also worked internationally for a foundation that focused on youth development and was a five-time executive director. So call me crazy. I know most people, and now that I do consulting work in the sector, oftentimes it's a one and done experience because of how challenging it can be, but I really enjoyed that work and transitioned into consulting, worked for a national consulting firm as my first entree into professional services work and did that for about five years and then made a geographic move from California to the Midwest and hung up my shingle, kind of doing the same thing as I was for the national firm, but under my own banner, Vista Global. I love that. That's really interesting. And so You started your own company in 2010 and you brought kind of all the skills and experience, but you were starting in a new state where in 2010, 
I mean, obviously we had the internet and there were a lot of things going on there, but was it challenging for you to start your business in a new state when probably most of your contacts or at least most of the contacts you had initially made were in a, on the West Coast and then you moved to Wisconsin? You nailed it, Lorraine. Absolutely. That was one of the greatest challenges for me. And that's why I actually maintained my national focus as far as my work, because I had lived not only on the West Coast, but I had also lived on the East Coast when I was working for the foundation. So I had networks on both coasts and I maintained those networks, continued to foster those relationships while I was developing my networks in the Midwest region in Wisconsin. That was so smart. And I hope anyone listening right now heard that and took note of that. You know, you don't just say goodbye to your network and the people that you know, because you never know where your prospects are going to come from. And certainly in businesses, you know, we're all here to create an impact, whatever that looks like. And you never know where those opportunities are going to come from. So that was really forward thinking on your part to be able to do that. And so did you ever kind of create that network in Wisconsin or did you just kind of continue to work nationally and internationally? Yes, I did. And yes, I still do have my <laughs> national and international work. So it, you know, it was interesting when I, in the first year or two, I was in Wisconsin, I actually ended up doing some networking with another national consultant who had also moved from California like oh a, a couple of years earlier, right? It was really interesting. It was like, oh my gosh, our paths almost crossed in the Bay Area, but here we are in Wisconsin. And together, we came together and designed a leadership development program, a pure cohort-based networked program for nonprofit leaders in Wisconsin. And it was a program that we ran for six years, you know, recruited leaders from all different types of nonprofits in Milwaukee and Madison area. And then with that, helped establish my network in Wisconsin. So I ended up doing other work because of the fact that we had launched that leadership program and we ran that for six years. So that was that's amazing. Really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to bring people together. So tell us a little bit about who you work with now and what you help them with. Sure. So I have two portfolios of work and they often intertwine in my organizational, you know, capacity building or organizational development work do a lot of work on facilitation meetings, apps around different topics. So I just finished a three-part webinar series for a national network organization on nonprofit succession planning. So really looking at how do you prepare for that succession and leadership transition in the sector, which is something that oftentimes the sector doesn't pay enough attention to. You know, something in the corporate sector is sort of part of the way they think about their business model and the nonprofit sector, we just, you know, are really trying to start to normalize those kinds of conversations. So that type of educational type of offerings, and then also do a lot of actually facilitation of mergers and strategic partnerships of nonprofits, which is, you know, people who are familiar with that kind of work in the corporate sector you know, oftentimes they will want to apply the same types of principles and some of them work, but 
in mission-driven organizations, you can't parachute people, you can't entice them with big packages. And so when you bring together organizations that are thinking about how do we have greater impact together, we really need to be talking about how is our mission impact aligned? How do we see, you know, what we do separately as something greater together? And so I do, I've done a lot of facilitation of mergers of nonprofits, which is kind of a niche area. And then, you know, also do board governance work and training in that area as well. So it's a variety of things on that the consulting side. And then on the coaching side, coach leaders who are wanting to have better impact with their teams, whether that's in, in themselves, whether that's yeah. in the nonprofit sector or corporate sector or academic or government sector. I mean, we all want to be our best selves and doing our best work. And that's where coaching can help. And so I have coaching clients across all sectors who are trying to, you know, be their best and offer their teams the their best selves to help them have greatest impact too. And that's so great when you recognize that you can use some coaching or mentorship in that regard, because it really does have that ripple effect of not only impacting you, but then impacting everyone that you're in contact with and impacting who they're leading perhaps as well. Yes, absolutely. The power of such small amount of investment of time and resources with coaching has that multiplier effect, as you just talked about. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Do you, are all your clients kind of, I don't want to say custom because you go in and coach. And so I'm sure you have like a process for that, but do you typically work one-on-one or do you ever do things that, you know, you may have nonprofit leaders from several different organizations at the same time? What does that look like? So there's individual coaching and there's group coaching. And so individual coaching is what you described and talked about where you're working one-on-one with leaders. Group coaching can be working with the team, collect together. So it wouldn't necessarily be working with different leaders in different organizations at the same time. There has to be some kind of common work you know, together. I mean, it could be a collaboration. And I actually use a lot of my coaching skills when I do the facilitation of mergers, because here you have a group of folks, they're coming from different organizations, but they're coming together to really explore how they might become together in as one organization in some way. And so those coaching skills help manage, you know, navigating conflict and navigating tensions really can help facilitate those conversations in a way that you can find the best solution, whether that's merging or not merging. Yeah, absolutely. So you typically work with nonprofit leaders, but you've also done some work. Well, I guess most of them have been. Do you work with for-profit social impact organizations as well? I do. And, you know, most of that work is in the individual leader side. And I have also done some strategy work or facilitation or training work in the social impact area as well. So for those types of organizations, you know, because I have 25, 30 years of experience in the social sector, people seem, you know, sort of get pulled toward that type of work in the corporate sector. They may feel like I don't have the right skills to support them, even though many of the topics are the same, regardless of which sector you're in. Yeah. So when you started your own business, 
And you talked about kind of the process in Wisconsin, but then I'm looking at some of the clients that you've worked with, Centro, Hispano, Time Slips, the Ford Foundation, which I think everyone's heard of, the NAACP, the Hawaii Community oh, Foundation. That was a really awesome project. Yes, I have to say. Yeah. So how did you break into that kind of like going to the big companies? Did you already have some connections from previous work? And if not, how would you tell people who are listening that would love to work with, you know, like their Ford foundation of their niche? How would you tell Mm -hmm. them to start working towards getting clients like that? Well, those national level clients, again, were part of my journey in networking. So interestingly enough, I worked for a national firm as a consultant, my first consulting role. At, when I retired, I would say as a nonprofit professional executive. Mm-hmm. And, and so that gave me exposure to national level clients. So you know, I understood what it took and what was necessary to develop a pipeline in business development for that size of clients. Interestingly enough, the Ford Foundation as a client, I actually was invited onto a project by someone that I had supervised in my very last position as an executive director. And so again, back to the network seat, yes, for, you know, 15 years later, she reached out to me because we maintain our contact. She's, you know, on my mailing list. We touch base on a regular basis. And she reached out to me to say, would you be interested in going in on this proposal with us? So again, and again, and again, it's maintaining your relationships and just staying in touch with folks. Yeah. So your network is your network kind of philosophy, right? Totally. Simplify. So you are not, your company, the Stick Global, <laughs> is a certified B Corp, and this will be airing in March, which is, is it national or international B Corp month? Not even sure. It could just be US and Canada. I'm not sure, but it North- is North America, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. We'll just say it's North America B Corp month. We both run B Corps and neither one of us are 100% sure, but you know, when I'm done talking with you today, I'm going to go check that out. But can you talk a little bit? I've had you know some other B Corp leaders on here, and I just love having the conversation around what does it mean for you to have your business certified as a force for good and really creating an impact in the world through that lens. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, I heard about the B Corp movement when I was working with the national firm because they were doing a research project around the blurring of the sectors. And that research was basically what they came out of that research was, hey, nonprofit sector, you cannot hold the corner on the market as the do-good sector, because there are things that are shifting in the corporate sector that are looking at business as a force for good. So you know, I found out about B Lab and the beginning of the B Corp movement really when it started, like 2007, eight. Wow. I was working for the firm. Yeah. I mean, really, right when they, they started, because they were part of the research project. So, you know, move forward a couple of years when I decided to start Mystic Global, I wanted to demonstrate my values alignment as a business 
And because I knew about B Lab and B Corp certification, I wanted to pursue that to really show how my personal values, you know, would align with the values of this movement and the certification process. So, you know, for me, it was just a no brainer. It was, and it's, I have to say, I think it's probably easier for companies who are just starting to consider certification because you are starting to put together all of your operating procedures and processes, et cetera. And so you can be doing that as you are going through that impact assessment. Oh, I need this policy around vendors. Oh, I need this policy versus a company that's already been up and running for X amount of years. And then going through the assessment saying, okay, now we have to revisit many of our current policies or procedures and practices to align more. So you started Vista Global in 2010. And when did you certify? Because I know you're the oldest B Corp in Wisconsin. Yes, 2012. Okay, that's great. Wow. Good. So we were four years after you. I knew about benefit corporations and I thought they were the same thing until the end of like 2015 when I'd been in business for two years. And all of a sudden it was like, I just, you know how you sometimes go down a rabbit hole and you click on this thing and it takes you to this. And all of a sudden there was B-Lab and it was like, wait a minute, this is not the same thing. Where has this been? So Right, right. Exactly. And I still think there's a lot of people that think that they are the same thing, that, you know, a benefit corp is a B corp. and, And of course they're not. To be certified, you go through a process that's administered by a nonprofit, B Lab, and we went through. But I, you know, you do it as the founder, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, went through the process for the third time, and every time it just seems more challenging, which is hard for us, but good in general because they're really holding owners accountable exactly. and accountable. Yeah, I'm four times on that merry-go-round. Wow. So yeah, I do know, and I agree with you that it has gotten more challenging and rigorous every recertification. But I think, you know, that's protecting the sector and protecting the brand, right? right? So pretty tough to say, oh, you know, if you're certified B Corp, you're greenwashing because yeah, the exactly. rigor And the, you know, the five different categories that you have to be evaluated in, you know, your workers, your community, your governance, your environment, and your customers, there's no other certification that looks at all five of those different areas. And so I think that's the headline that needs to be get out there a little bit more is that how comprehensive this certification process is. Only 6,000 companies in the world that have it. Yeah. So cheers. For that. Cheers to us. Cheers, yeah, to cheers to us. Cheers to us and cheers to cheers. you for being the first one in Wisconsin. That's amazing. I think that's great. So I have to bring up something else that's interesting. And maybe you can talk about how your business enables this for you. I think that it's so interesting. Since I've known you, you've been taking your winters in Mexico. <laughs> And, you know, having an online business, but you also travel and go and work in person with people as well. Can you talk a little bit about that process of deciding that you could spend your winters in Mexico and then how that kind of weaves into work when you have to travel or does it not really make a difference if you're traveling from Wisconsin or Mexico? Yeah, that was a lot. I'm sorry. I gave you a lot to unpack. <laughs> okay, how many questions was that? Let me think. 
I'll start with whatever you can ask another one if I haven't answered all the questions. Okay. She so, you know, when I worked for the national firm, it was a virtual firm. I mean, and this was revolutionary in the, you know, that firm started in, in 1998 and I joined it in 2007. Wow. And they were already, everybody was set up in their home offices then. I mean, that was the model. So I already had a way of thinking about my business in home office environment, in a virtual environment, you know, decade mm-hmm. and a half before people were challenged to think about that or be creative about it with the pandemic. And so, you know, I knew that as long as I had a good internet connection and a phone and my, you know, good monitors, I could work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if my portfolio of business was national and local. So how does this work? I mean, in the winter, if I have any clients that I am working with that are Wisconsin-based, I manage the time frame and the timeline on those clients to say, you know, we got to close up by the end of the year, or if we do have any more in-person meetings, then we need to look at travel costs as part of the scope of work for the engagement. And it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I had a proposal out in October for a project and we were going to try to squeeze everything in before the end of the year as far as the kickoff meeting being in person and then doing other things virtually. And they weren't quite ready and they just came back to me literally in January and (laughs) said, okay, we're ready to go. And I said, well, you remember that now I'm in Mexico. So for our in-person meeting, that now is going to require travel costs. And what I have learned about this, you know, sort of dynamic of local or national or international is that if people want believe in what you offer and they want to hire you, then they will find the resources to pay for your travel. As long as you're completely upfront with that's the how this, you know, will work. So if they hire, you know, somebody in California, they're going to pay for a ticket. Or if they hire somebody True. in Cleveland, they pay for a ticket. Right. And, and interestingly enough, Madison is a very expensive ticket because of the airport. So sometimes the ticket cost is very similar in price. It's not Mm -hmm. dramatically more, even when I'm in Mexico. Yeah, no, I get that. That's really interesting. So tell our listeners how they can learn more about what you do. Where can we find you, Mary? You can find me in all of the regular places to find people on the internet. So, you know, my business website is, do you want me to share my website or are you going to put that in the show notes? Yeah, so I will have it all in the show notes. Is it VistaGlobalCC.com? That's it. Like coaching and consulting, VistaGlobalCC.com. Yeah. Yep. And I, of course, am on Twitter. At just a global Mary, and I'm on Instagram as far as my company. I keep saying I, but okay. my Twitter yeah. account is me. The Instagram account is just a global CC. You can also find me personally on LinkedIn. My name, Mary Stellatello, and our company also has a Facebook page at Vista Global. So you are everywhere. That's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> All right. So my last question is because this is the Prosper Project and we want to kind of give entrepreneurs insight into how different leaders define success. What does it mean for Mary to prosper? Not Vista Global, but you personally. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that question. 
And as a coach, this is a topic that I coach many leaders on and you have to walk the talk. And not only do I just have to walk the talk, I totally believe and live this because I know the results it has for me. And that is making sure that you create the time and the space for yourself. And so, you know, breaks, I, you know, every day I walk my dog, I always am outside walking my dog and it's so much easier and nicer to walk my dog in the wintertime when I'm in Mexico than having to put our boots and our big jackets on. But walking my dog is a part of keeping my energy tank filled. And so I really look at different ways of micro, you know, medium level and macro ways of keeping my energy level up. So I'm not depleted. And what I noticed now when we're in the world that we live in now, it's so much video work. I have to be even more intentional of that. So getting away from the computer, taking phone calls instead of video calls, like, whoa, not right. an idea. We used to do yeah. that all the time. And you How can about walk it? while you're on your phone. You can't walk <laughs> on Zoom very easily. No, you can't. <laughs> and also taking days away, like short like, so for example, we're taking a short trip this weekend and just carving out space where I can recharge. Yeah. I do a mini sabbatical every year and I just lock it in on my calendar. And I do that because I know that it will reap the benefits for me to prosper in the future and personally have the energy to be creative, to be innovative, to give my best self to my work and my clients. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? I had forgotten, but I do remember that you take a sabbatical. So for someone that's never taken a sabbatical, can you talk through how much time you take and how you choose where to be for that sabbatical? Sure. That's why it's called a mini sabbatical because it's like mm-hmm. that's a week. Okay. It's a week or that's 10 days. Usually yeah, that's a week. So you mentioned the Hawaii Community Foundation and I actually, I always take my sabbaticals to Hawaii. And I take them in November. Okay. And November's often a time I have found of the last five years where things are kind of starting to slow down. I mean, it's a little frenetic. Sometimes it's actually really packed because people are trying to get things in by the end of the year. Other times there seems to be like a little bit of a break, but I usually take it in early November and I go to one of the islands that, I mean, when I had that project with the Hawaii Community Foundation, I went to Hawaii six times a year for a couple of years. Oh, darn. I know, darn. Brutal. Get to play, get to be paid to be in a beautiful place. But I got to really immerse myself in the culture and learn a lot about the different, you know, the different islands and the personalities of the different islands. And so I don't have any work there anymore. So that I always go there. Does your husband go with you or do you take it by yourself? No. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. And what do you do when you're there? Do you have any structure? Do you think about certain things or plan? Or is it just like I'm just in my head and in my body and taking it whatever I want to do? Yes, and. Yes, and. So I do a reflective process around, you know, the year that's ending. What do I want to celebrate? What are the highlights of it? What do I want to let go of for, you know, for the next year? And I do some planning for the year coming forward. So I do some of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also take the opportunity to read, which I only read like work focused stuff when I'm 
you know, working yeah. journals, et cetera, et cetera, to stay up to date and stuff. And I take the opportunity to read whatever I want to read. So giving myself that space. And then, yeah, sometimes I just lay at the pool, you know, I mean, I've been to Hawaii so many times now that I don't feel like I have to do a vacation. And it's interesting because yeah. this in November, this last year, I actually wrote a blog post about this, about the mini sabbatical and no, it's not a vacation. Can you link it? We'll link it in our show notes. I'll get that awesome. after and we'll link that in our show notes. So if yeah. you're thinking, if you're inspired like I am about a sabbatical in Hawaii, we're going <laughs> to link that blog post in the show notes so we can all do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to talk to you about it offline too. Okay. That sounds great. So is there anything that I didn't ask you, Mary, that you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I mean, Lorraine, I think the one thing that, you know, you and I have had the opportunity to really partner on over the last six years or however long it's been since we've met is really this movement of B Corp women CEOs and we the change. And I don't know if you've talked to anyone else about that on your podcast, but really, I think that's a really good topic, even though the other B Corp women leaders that I've had on the podcast have been part of We The Change. We haven't really talked about that other than maybe touching on it. So yeah, really great. Yeah. Talk a little bit about We The Change because you've been part of the leadership circle and just really, really active in driving certain initiatives forward. And you too have been part of the leadership circle as well. So I just make sure your listeners know that as well. They can reach out to you about it too. But we the change is the because you were actually probably the initial kickoff meeting of we the change. I um, was. Yeah. So you're an OG of We the Change. I am an OG (laughs) of We the Change. So We the Change is really focused on the you know, promotion of, and I should be reading our mission statement here, but of women business leaders and how we do business inclusively and looking at a regenerative, prosperous economy. And, you know, there's some pillars of our focus, you know, focus on advocacy as it relates to women and business. We focus on networking for women business leaders. We offer monthly webinars and other events. And what's our third pillar, Lorraine? Help me with this. Growing RB, advocacy. I guess growing RB is also networking. I'm blanking right now, but you know what? We can just throw the link in the show notes. I can. (laughs) And we also have monthly meetings for all members of We The Change. Right. And so the leadership circle has its own meeting to talk about the business of We The Change, which is a nonprofit. And then there is an all, you know, a monthly meeting, monthly networking. And we'll think of that third pillar and I'll throw it in there. But I, you also gave me a great idea. I think it would be really wonderful to bring some women together and to do a podcast on We The Change and really dig in a little bit deeper to that Mm-hmm. and let women know what we're doing and how they can be part of this. Right. And we have a pledge that we ask people to sign, which really is kind of the launch point for commitment to how you are going to run your business and 
once you sign that pledge, which is free, then you're on the mailing list and you get the communication around, you know, what activities are coming up. We have a, you know, it's over a thousand people have signed the pledge. We've got a very active Google group that people jump in on when they're looking for help or support and Slack channel. So whatever channel you like to engage with, you know, we've got those and you have to be a certified B Corp at this point to be a member of We The Change. And I think that's also helpful. So purpose-driven businesses that, you know, women are leading is the gateway. And even allies are able to participate in any of the activities. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that site is at wethechange.net. So anyone who's interested in learning more about that certainly can, and then they can sign the declaration, which is there as well. So I do want to thank you so very much for spending this time with me today, Mary. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And there will be lots of links in the show notes. When you're listening to this, as long as you're not driving, make sure you visit the show (laughs) notes and check out Vista Global and some of the other wonderful things that we'll link for you there. Mary, my pleasure having you here today. Thank you again so much for this conversation. Thank you, Lorraine. It It was joy to have this time together to catch up on a lot of different things that we've been involved with over the last seven or eight years. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.